0: Good evening from Coolidge, Arizona. It's the study in Daniel, episode number 46. This is May the 2nd, 2019, the evening of the recording and the delivering of this lesson in a long series in Daniel. We're very glad to have you tuned in, listening to the program whenever. Um And we are very uh, offering our welcome for sure. You know, we're uh, continuing in chapter 12 in particular. We left off um, at the end of verse seven, I believe, last time that we uh, held this class. So we'll begin again in, in verse eight. <clears throat> but before we do that, uh, I have some uh, a few other things to, Interject into this lesson. And as you know, the last, well, ever since we've been in chapter 12 and even before, I suppose, I've been attempting to show clearly that we can have confidence that this chapter in Daniel 12 is speaking of the time period of, in our time records uh, keeping, uh, AD 66. To 70, the time period in there and events within that time period known as the time of the end in Daniel and, and other Old Testament passages. Now this is the end, remember, of the covenant period between God and Israel. Um, it had a beginning. It had an ending. The, the scripture is very clear on that. But I hope you're eager to have more proof. I have uh, one one item I think that will add to this uh, as we uh, look at it, and I hope you're you're eager because I'm eager to get it out because the Scriptures are so rich in giving us all that we need to see clearly the promises of God fulfilled. We don't see it all the time. We don't see it every time we read it. We have to read it many, many times, um, many years <laughs> before we see the picture. Uh, and I don't know, maybe we never do see the total picture in a lifetime. Um, most older scholars say that they don't, that there's more. And I will, uh, I will definitely uh, humble myself in their presence. You know, there's an important word used in Daniel that can give us a clear understanding, I believe, and a point in time, which is, of course, what we're after since we're uh, this is the theme of, of Daniel. And that word is the word saint. <clears throat> and we have went over this word and talked about it before as it comes up in Daniel. Uh, remember, As I believe I probably said, well, a saint uh, was a person who was uh, uh, who was a believer in God, uh, serving God, and that that's a general definition. But I uh, to define the word maybe a little better, I went to my trusty Bollinger uh, Greek concordance, and uh, uh, it's my go-to book for The Greek and New Testament, of course, it also makes references to the Old, (coughs) especially the Septuagint. Um, And I found within the definition of um, of of the word saint, there's only one basic definition, but there's there's actually two different categories. But you cannot separate the word saint as it's used as a noun, from the position of one one person, one man or woman who is totally devoted to God, a person that belongs to God, a person that is a member of God's family, either by obedience to the law or uh, uh, birth into the new covenant through Christ. Uh, this is a saint. You can't separate it. There are no saints outside of the position and the relationship of the God of heaven. Now, that's what the Bible teaches. I know we got all kinds of saints running around on, on the face of the earth, so-called. But this is the definition here. And I think because of our other experiences, sometimes it's confusing. So... To me, this is the key to our time frame here in Israel, A.D. 66 and 70, and I'm going to show you why. <clears throat> Who were the saints, in God's eyes, at that point? In other words, at the point of A.D. 66 and 70? would have been the righteous Jews and the Christians. Yeah, it would be. That's, that's, that's two separate groups, even though... There were many righteous Jews that had become Christians, mm-hmm. and there may have even been righteous Jews that had not become Christians yet, but I don't know anything about that because there aren't any talked about that I know of. But that is that, those are the categories. Who were they at that time? Now, as Daniel is looking in this vision at his people, Daniel does not see Christians because Daniel knows nothing of Christianity. He knows of them the promised Messiah, but he knows nothing of it from this vision or any of other vision that he has seen in a way that he could put it together. We have people today that don't can't find Christ in Daniel, even though he is there. So, um The issue is this, was it not those men and women of the descendants of Abraham that had accepted God's Messiah, that had come to them, the Messiah had come to them to forgive their sins through the cross? Yes, it was the Christians. The Christians were the true saints in Israel at this time period of A.D. 66 through 70 both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians at that time but this is this is all being true we need to remember though that this event in in uh, spoken of by Daniel in these visions is an event that is important to his people your people and we know that has to be the Jewish people it does not include the New Covenant people. So this is the event, right? The day of the Lord, as the Old Testament talks about over and over many, many times. And as the scriptures speak upon, uh, about coming upon the uh, the Israelites and, and the Israeli people, the sons of Abraham, the sons of Isaac and, and Jacob, these are the people we're talking about, and their descendants. There are many descendants. So, let's look at this uh, this word as it's used in, in in the Old and New Testament. And first, I'm going to go to Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse five and ten. Now, as I've said many times, this particular passage is speaking of the exact same time period of the destruction of Jerusalem, the judgment of God, and all that we have. Verse 5 through 10, and of course the Apostle Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica these things. He says, um, a, manifold, a manifest token of righteous judgment of God to the end that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. If so be that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense affliction to them that afflict you. That is the Christians of that day. And to you that are afflicted, rest with us. You see the two groups right there? the church people in Thessalonica and the us being the apostles in particular, at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with the angels of his power in flaming fire. In other words, this rest is going to come at the revelation. I'm not sure the word is at there. It may be in. uh, or through I'm not sure which um, we will check here in. it's in in the rev- the revealed Lord, in the revealed Lord. that's that's the idea, okay? We'll get that right and we move on. rendering vengeance to them that know not God, and to them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus. By the way, the knowing not God means the ignoring of God, the the uh, cold shoulder towards God of the Jewish people that had forsaken God and his truth and his ways and went their own. Those are the know not God. But there was another group along with that, maybe the same group and to them that obey not the gospel of our lord jesus you see this is all part of knowing god and that pretty much covers all the groups of people doesn't it and that passage makes it very clear there there's no uh <laughs> there's no gray area here is there no oh no and verse 9 who shall suffer punishment even eternal destruction from the face of the, of the lord and from the glory of his might when He shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at in all them that believed because our testimony unto you was believed in that day. Our testimony, the apostolic message of Christ was believed by those that are waiting anxiously for the return um, of the Lord. All of this, of course, all put into the time frame of those receiving the letter in their lifetime. And to confirm that, let's just go right to chapter 2 that follows this, the first two verses. And he goes on, he says, Now we, the apostles, that he, uh, that is, beseech you, the church, the Christians, brethren, touching the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is actually in the presence of, uh, as I recall, the, the the definition is off. Let me look here. Um, yeah. Yeah. The word by is actually right, by the presence of our Lord. In other words, this is the time. This is The presence of the Lord is the same as the, the time of being revealed. All right? Let me start again. Now we beseech you, brethren, touching the coming or presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, the hour there representing the we, the apostles, the reason for that is he doesn't want them to feel, have a real problem after this occurs with them all being gone. In verse 2, to the end, that you be not quickly shaken from your mind, nor yet be troubled, either by spirit or by word or by epistle, as from us, that is the apostles, as that the day of the Lord is just at hand. Okay, it hadn't happened yet, but Paul's preparing them for the time when it would. As a matter of fact, this was written to the church in about AD 51. So it was some time off, wasn't it? Um, but, of course, this was all part, always part of the apostolic message. This is what the, the churches knew in that day. We don't have that situation today, uh, the understanding here, uh, certainly because we try to fit the modern church into these passages here it doesn't work so time period 8051 revelant to the reader then that and that's the time frame that we're locked into here so the presence of christ was was going to occur in, in their lifetime in most of their lifetimes, some would uh, would be martyred or even die before this occurred, but not all. Now the word saint is is in there. Um, in uh, in in uh, the first chapter. I'm trying to find it though, I wanted to bring it out in yeah, glorified in his saints in his saints and remember that word means exactly what how i just defined it Uh, that word is a a person having a relationship with god in a way that's pleasing to him to be in his family they also would be the ones that have their name written in the book you see all these things fit together now let's look at daniel chapter 7 Look at verse 15. We'll go back to chapter 7 because the uh, idea of saints is part of this, and I, I think it's um, it fits very well with this whole thing. Uh, chapter 7, verse 15. Okay. And I'll just read it. Uh, it's just a few of the verses, but we need to keep the context here. Uh, remember, this is a, a vision uh, and an explanation of it. As for me, Daniel, my spirit in my body trembled, and the visions of my head troubled me. And I drew near to one of them that stood by, one of the heavenly hosts. And I had sought to learn of him the truth of all these things, and he told me the truth and made it known to me the interpretation of these of, of the things that he had seen and heard. These four beasts are four kingdoms that shall rise up on earth, which shall be taken away, and the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess it forever and ever. Now we know that this reference to saints is speaking of that kingdom and they are part of that kingdom that will be forever and ever. It's the only kingdom that's ever and ever. Mm -hmm. There are other kingdoms, there's many other kingdoms, they last a long time, but not ever and ever. These saints are the Christians. And it's not defined here, but you see, to Daniel, when he sees saints, Here's the word saints of the Most High and the kingdom forever and ever. He knows exactly what they're talking about. He's talking. they're talking about the kingdom that came during the time of the fourth beast. That's why he asks the next thing in verse 19. Then I inquired carefully concerning the fourth beast. Why? Because that kingdom came to life within that time period. Remember the stone cut out of the mountain without hands that Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar about? For for it differed from every other beast. See, that beast was very interesting to Daniel. Exceedingly dreadful, his teeth were of iron, his claws of brass devouring and utterly breaking to pieces and trampling the remainder with his feet. And concerning his ten horns that were in its head, and the other that came up and rooted up some of the former, three, which had eyes and a mouth, speaking great things, and his look was bolder than the rest. I beheld, and that horn made war with the saints. Now, who are the saints there? Well, we could speculate. We know, because I believe that horn is Vespasian. I know some believe it's Nero, but I'm, I'm saying it's Vespasian because of the issue of the, him being the 11th. Um, the saints there, of course, we know that Vespasian was making war with who? The Jewish people of the first century A.D., right? And prevailed against them. Is that what happened in history? Very much so. Um, The horn, his son, uh, as the horn returned back to Rome to be made uh, Caesar, his son, General Titus, finished the work and prevailed against the saints. That is, Daniel's people. Until the Ancient of Days came and he gave judgment to the saints of the Most High, and the time came on and the saints possessed the kingdom. Now we're back. We're back to what remains after what? The prevailing against them, the destruction of Jerusalem. Something will still remain, didn't it? The judgment by God was given to the saints of the Most High. And they possessed the kingdom that lasts forever and ever. That is the grand kingdom. No other kingdom matches and so we are right now the new heaven and the new earth the new heaven and new earth right so the saints being jewish people that were being crushed or uh overcome uh the one version says i believe the septuagint talks about worn down uh the horn wore down the saints okay uh, same thing, they, they, were, they were defeated. They, they were. We know the history of uh, Jerusalem in A.D. 70, the fall of Jerusalem, the final fall in, in August and September of A.D. 70. But also there was mention of those whose names were written in the book in other places to live in that never-ending kingdom of God. And if you want to read about that, read Revelation 20 or nineteen, twenty all the way to the end, through 22. It's not a long read, but it has all of this information in it. Not, not, just, a, not just a kingdom without end, but a kingdom that, that right? made a footstool of this fourth and terrible beast. That's right. Well, what we have to understand is that the church, as we call it, the kingdom of Christ, the never-ending kingdom that was promised to the Jews, to the patriarchs, and to the, and to the and through the apostles, to the church is in place. This is the kingdom. Uh, even if we don't know about it or, or say it's not there, friends, it doesn't mean that it's not. We need to understand. Uh, that there are bigger things than our five senses. But, you know, we do have some senses that allows us to read God's Word, and uh, as God says in it many times, let us reason together through his Word. Remember, Daniel knew nothing of the gospel of the Messiah. He only, as all righteous Jews did, had a great faith in all of God's promises. He knew about the promise of. He knew about these things. He knew about the the testimony of Abraham and Moses. He knows about the promises God made to Abraham and Moses. And these things, if believed, would bring one to the place that we see in Daniel where they are part of the everlasting kingdom. You see, Daniel believed God, and that's the qualifier for man. Truly believing, as the New Testament talks about over and over again, believing with your heart and speaking the words with your mouth and obeying the gospel in every um, physical way that you would, and, and should, and living a life for Christ, living a godly life. This is what believing God is all about. This is what the, new, the kingdom is all about. Now, to my point on this matter of the saints, we, I want to clear it up with just this. Today, most of Christendom is awaiting. What are they awaiting? Well, they're awaiting this future return of Christ. And they just can't wait to make another fantastic movie about some of the things it'll be. Nonetheless, they're ignoring the scriptures as they do these things, or they're piecemealing, picking things out and putting them together. And they attribute most all of these end-of-day prophecies that we find in Daniel and within the other prophetic writings of the Old Testament and the New they pr- project these things sometime into the distant future, and I say distant, even though everybody talks the the nearness of the of Christ's return. Uh, if you really talk to people, they'll say, "Well, this has to happen, and this has to happen, and this has to happen." We have to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. We have to uh, uh, find the red heifer, and uh, you know all the different things that we just got to do but it's still pretty close. That's where they're living. I don't want to live there anymore because that's a place of, of uh, confusion and ignorance. And, temp- and all that's temporary. It's temporal. It's, it's all that's temporal. That's not going to last. That's right. Now, if that is true, if what they say about the distant time is true, then who are the saints in the New Jerusalem, in their future? Because we only have a few scriptures on it. Who are the saints in that day? They're forgetting about the whole issue of God's punishment and rewarding of the Jewish people during this time period. They're forgetting about that. And, and the Jews can tell you that it happened. Let's look at the first verse in, in chapter 12 again. Let's bring us back here to to where, where, we're, where we're at. And listen to the words. And, and I'm going to show you where the, this, this is not future. It's future as it was written, but it's not future in our life. And it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince, shall stand up that stands over the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of tribulation. Such tribulation has not been from the time that there was a nation on the earth until that time. At that time, thy people shall be delivered. Who are the thy people? It has to be only one group shall be delivered even every one that is written in the book that we read about in Revelation chapter 20. And even Jesus mentions within the Gospels. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to reproach and everlasting shame. And the wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And as we looked at this verse before in verse 3, The wise that are shining, those are the Jewish people that have accepted God's Messiah. And they will shine, they will stand out as the brightness of the firmament and some of the many righteous as the stars forever and ever. And that's the end of verse 3. I I I had to include them all there. Now, let's look again at Daniel 7.25 and see what it says there. Daniel seven twenty five. Speaking of the 11th horn here, And he shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change times and laws, and power shall be given into his hand for a time, and times, and half a time. You see, not now we're back into chapter twelve, and we're also in Revelation with this. But you see, even though all this happened, judgment was set, and they shall remove his dominion. Who's the his? The his is the eleventh horn. The Roman dominion ended when the church was, when Christ and the church was victorious. The kingdom full grown, and the old was put away, and the new established. So, let's look at Revelation 18. Look at the first verse. I'm trying to clarify the issue of when this Jerusalem exists. Uh, Is it in the future, or was it in the past? So far it sounds like it's in the past. In verse 18 or chapter 18 of Revelation it says in the first few verses after these things the apostle John saw another angel coming out of heaven having great authority and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried with a mighty voice saying fallen fallen is Babylon the great and is become a habitation of demons and a hold of every unclean spirit and a hold of of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, who is Babylon the Great? Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem, all the way through Revelation. It's also called Sodom and Egypt. Why? Because they're separate from God, just as Babylon is. For by the wine of the wrath of her fornication, all the nations are fallen. You see, because of Jerusalem, it's, called, it's caused great calamity in all the world. And we'll see that. And the kings of the earth committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth waxed rich by the power of her wantonness. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come forth, my people, out of her. Now, who do you suppose my people are there? You see? You know, we we have to look at this very clearly. Come forth, my people. This actually happened, you know. Josephus even writes about it, about people who actually heard that said in Jerusalem. That... You have no fellowship with her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached even unto heaven. In other words, they have filled up. They are filled up to the top, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Render unto her, even as she rendered, and double unto her the double according to her works, in the cup which she shall mingle, 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 unto her double. How much soever she glorified herself in and in waxed wanton, so much give her of her torment and mourning, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow, and shall in no wise see mourning. Therefore, in one day shall her plagues come, death, and mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burnt with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judged her. I'll stop there. Isn't that exactly what happened to Jerusalem of A.D. 70? So much of what Moses promised would happen if they disobeyed. Moses promised the same thing in in, uh, Deuteronomy 28 and other places, and and uh, 32, I believe, also. Friends, is this the Jerusalem of the future that we read about in the both Old and New Testament? Does it sound like a Jerusalem of the future to you? Because remember, as Revelation starts in Revelation 1-1, Revelation 1-1 kind of sets the tone for everything that we have In Revelation. And I think there's probably a good reason for that. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show unto his servants, that is, the apostles, even the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Friends, there's no way around it as I see it. We are not talking about a Jerusalem of the distant future. This Jerusalem is known to us through the pages of Scripture. And I think, uh, I think we should be able to see that. Now, those are my thoughts. And others can have other thinking. But the idea here is to be challenged to see what you make of these things. If that's not what you're believing, if that's not what you've, uh, as they say, always were taught, or anything of this sort, not good enough. find out if it's true. Now, the saints in Daniel's vision were being destroyed in a time of the fourth beast. Now, that's another key thing. Now, that only means that these beasts uh, if we're wrong in the in the fact that it represents the four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, well, it wouldn't uh, be it wouldn't be us that was wrong. It'd be Daniel. <laughs> so everything's wrong in Daniel. Then there, uh, you know his visions were wrong, and everything's wrong. You see, we t- to really sit on that now. The way the futurists that would have us believe this is all in the future, what they have to do is have a revival of what? A revival of all these kingdoms yes. in the future. You see, this Roman uh, revived kingdom, you know, that we hear about, uh, we don't hear too much about it because it's, in my and my understanding, this is pure speculation, Um they're putting this together because they have to follow these principles. As I told you before, in reading Josephus, who wrote within the first century A.D., he believed that he lived within the time of the fourth beast of Daniel. That's in his Daniel commentary. So, friends, I think maybe I'm I'm on pretty solid ground here. So this is the time of the destruction that we're reading about in Daniel and in Revelation and in everywhere else in the Scripture. Because, remember, the issue that, that occurred in Jerusalem was not an accident. It wasn't because Rome wanted to uh, totally uh, defeat and abolish everything that was Jewish. No, no, they wanted Jerusalem to stay the way it was because they were using it. It was useful to them. All the cities were. And they didn't want this sort of thing. They were trying to keep the peace. What was happening is, God was punishing the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, for the former sins, sins of their fathers. Read Matthew 23. Jesus says it clear. You, this generation, will pay the penalty for the sins of your fathers and the rejection of the Messiah. That was what was going on. Luke 21, 21, a time of vengeance from God. How could this be in the future to the Jewish people now? It doesn't fit. We cannot have in the future Orthodox Jews in the future back in Jerusalem with the new built temple and then have such a thing occur as we read about here. Because remember, those Orthodox Jews there, uh, they can't be the saints that inherit the kingdom because the, the Orthodox Jews are those that are still rejecting the gospel of Christ. To be a saint in our day, to be a saint in, in any day since the gospel was introduced into the world, you must be in Christ. You must be naming Christ as your Savior and acknowledge God's Christ and acknowledge that God exists and you will become a child of God as, in obeying the gospel in the way that the apostles taught So it's hard for us to somehow bring all of these things back and put them into the future. And I don't believe you can. Do you see how the futuristic look at these end-of-the-days prophecies are very hard to believe? They're very hard to imagine or even to build a scenario. Why not just believe God and his word? That's what we have. It's clear. I believe we have all we need. I think this point I am making could be made even clearer and better defined if it was done in, in a separate lesson uh, concerning just these points. I think it could be done a little easier than interjecting it the way I'm doing here. But we're studying all of Daniel, not just little little parts. So let's look again In the time remaining in our lesson, at Daniel chapter 12, verse 8. Verse 8, and it says this, and this is, of course, Daniel uh, speaking, and I heard, but I understood not, and I said, O Lord, what will be the end of these things? Okay, let's look at that verse. I, I like, the fact here, this, Oh, Lord, do you understand that Daniel had a great respect for the heavenly host of heaven? heaven? He had an understanding and a great respect. Why? These are the, the host of God. These are those that serve God. These are those that live in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm, that serve the God of creation. And Daniel shows great respect in saying Lord. He didn't say God here. Lord meaning meaning Master. Okay? In other words, specifying the fact that the, the heavenly host was on a higher plane than he, Daniel, at that time. Okay? But what will be the end of these things? You know... Um, By the way, it's always appropriate, I think, to think of and address and speak of the heavenly host in that way. Yes, even today in our enlightened state. But the question that Daniel asked was very broad in scope, I think. How does this all end? Always always concerned about his people. He's always concerned about them. He's not going to let up because... (laughs) This is his life, and, and he's very concerned with them, and he knows that he's seeing these things for a reason. There's a great reason here. Um, it's a it's reason for him to know and do this work, but he's got to think that this is going to be a great benefit to his people as time goes on. It should have been. It should have been more of a benefit than apparently it was there will not be a clear answer given. And why is that? Well, uh, remember, the the words were, were to be closed. The words were to be closed and sealed up to the time of the end. And that's kind of where Daniel was. But right here, as we see, Uh, this question being asked, and no real response. Here I think we can understand that Daniel's question and all of the questions that he had, we have the answer as recorded in the Revelation record that John the Apostle was given, as we said. the, the, The Revelation given by God to Jesus Christ for his servants. Through the angel to John the Apostle, quite a quite a division. But that's how God does things. But the answers that Daniel was looking for here uh, are found and revealed in Revelation. I think that's just a wonderful thinking, um, and we can see now that the Apostle John's vision um, or visions, possibly on Patmos. Given, during, uh, given by the Lord here, is indeed the so-called rest of the story, as we say, concerning the end of the covenant period, which is about A.D. 70, and um, as far as we, we can tell, as far as the destruction of Jerusalem. But what was left was the full-grown without, end, never-ending kingdom of God and Christ that had been given in a promise in Daniel chapter 2. That's why Daniel is so important. It's so important to the idea of what we find in Revelation. Revelation is so important to what Daniel received. By the way, Isaac Newton and I think we all know who Isaac Newton is, uh, also wrote a book uh, on this subject, and it's called The Observations on the Prophecies of Daniel and the Apocalypse of the Apostle John. In other words, the Revelation. Isaac Newton thought that these two Prophecies uh, had some had some uh, ways to be corresponding with each other. I think he thought they fit very well. Now I don't think any of us want to argue with Isaac Newton, do we? I don't. But it's it's interesting. As a matter of fact, Isaac Newton um, was a very intelligent man. He was intelligent enough to. When it became his time to be ordained into the Anglican Church, he refused to do so uh, because he would not agree with the creed of the Anglican Church because within it he found that it was unscriptural. In the idea of things such as the Trinity, uh, the Calvinistic uh, doctrines within it. He, and he showed he spent days, two or three days, teaching the teachers <laughs> what he meant by that because he was a Greek and Hebrew scholar. At the end of the day, he was ordained, but he did not have to swear to the creed of the Anglican church. I wonder why not. Anyway, I think, I, you know, I have a lot of confidence in his abilities in the scripture. And I didn't know that he wrote this, and I have not read it, but I, I was reading a man that had mentioned it and took some of his material. I think we've got time to look at verse 9 quickly before we pause for this evening. Verse 9. And he said, that is the Heavenly host, go, Daniel, for the words are closed and sealed up to the time of the end. All right? The time of the end, a subject that Daniel was becoming quite learned about, but was not recorded in all that he had seen or heard. He was not recording everything that he saw and everything that he heard because he was told not to. And he did, but he did see them, and he did hear them, to a certain extent, as much as God allowed. We don't know. We'd only be speculating. We do know that his understanding was not always full. But his understanding, he's asking questions. But I understood not, he says in verse 8. Well, do you ever get the idea when you read the Bible that you're understanding not? I think so. Sure. This is the condition of man, um, and it takes a long time to understand a little better. Now these things that he was not recording were closed up and sealed until the fullness of God's time. God's time, not Daniel's, not anyone else. This was understood by Daniel and the Jews of the time, um, and, and the Jews that lived on, uh, forward a- after this time that's stated in the time of Daniel. It even makes mention in-, in way of that in the First Maccabees chapter 2, verse 59 to 60. And so, the last days in the New Testament, the last hour, as the Apostle John writes in First, first John in the New Testament, was the time These words were opened up and unsealed in the revelation that was given by Christ through the will of the Father to his servants, through the angel, to the heavenly host that spoke to the Apostle John that we call the revelation. It was written on Patmos in AD 62, was taken to the churches. Of the time at that and, and they understood these things. They understood what was going to transpire very soon. Very soon. By the way, Matthew twenty-four, Mark thirteen, and Luke twenty-one are all passages that have to do with the with the end times. And some would say, Well, why didn't John include one in his gospel? Well, don't we have it in Revelation? I think we do. So we can say all the Gospels have this, this, this understanding. But we'll pause there this evening. Um, we've had a long class. I hope it hasn't been too long. And I hope that you still have the hunger to go on and finish the last few things in this chapter. Um, but we're going to be starting with verse 10. And believe me, it just gets better and better. Um, Until we meet again, let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you this night with these words, we pray that the things that we have read, studied, and understood, that they will be a great benefit to us and to those of our time and to those that will come after us as these great truths are revealed through studying of your word. And we pray it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.